podcast online right now. And we're not real fancy. We're not, you know, over the top with uh, production and things like that. We're pretty, um, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And so I just want to tell you that when we say it's an honor for you to be with us and for us to get to spend this time together with you, we really, really mean that. So right now as you're tuning in, if there's a friend that you have been talking to this week or somebody as you guys are all joining in, whether you're on Facebook or on N3C.TV or if you're watching on YouTube or BoxCast, however you're watching, if you're seeing people tune in and chime in, then be sure if you don't see somebody's name, text them right now and say, hey, I'm missing you at church. Join in with me online. Let's invite some people that need to be encouraged the same way as we would say, invite a friend to church, somebody that needs to, uh, that you know is going through some things in their life and is needing encouragement. We want to say the same thing this morning. Shoot somebody a text and say, hey, I feel like um, you need this word of encouragement today. I'm thinking about you and I want you to join me at church this morning. So uh, with that, I want to just share with you this message today is going to be, I feel like it's going to be a little bit different. And I was uh, kind of having some nervousness about it this morning. And I was asking God, why am I nervous about this this way? And uh, I feel like the reason is because today's message is not a typical message, but what I've been meditating on and just getting with God about, I feel like what today is for all of us is a call to action. This isn't just a word or uh, a teaching, but this is the best way to say it is a call to action today. So if you're ready for a call to action, I want you to type in your comment right now. Say, I'm ready. And as you're doing that, also, if you are joining us online and you've never been here to our church and you are new to us online, I want you to put in your comments, I want you to say, I'm new and I'm, or I'm just tuning in. And when somebody does that, those of you who are part of our N3C family, I want you to comment back to them and I want you to say, hey, welcome, because if somebody were to be new and walk in our front doors, we would welcome them and we would make sure that they knew where to get the coffee, knew where the good donuts were. We would want them to feel at home here. So those of you tuning in online, I want you to either say I'm ready or I want you to type in I'm new and N3C family, you know what to do. If somebody's new, chime in and make them feel welcome. Introduce yourself online because we really want to connect with you and we want you to know that you are very important to us. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to go ahead and tell you where I'm going because it's back in a part of your Bible that probably the pages are still stuck together. Or if you're using your YouTube app, you've probably never opened this book. And if you have, then I want you to let me know. So if you would flip over to Hosea. Hosea is a book that is in the Old Testament. It is toward the end of the Old Testament. It's after Psalms and Proverbs. So if that kind of helps you navigate into that, go to where the pages are still stuck together. When you peel them apart, it makes that really cool noise. So with that, I have been, a few weeks ago, I was just asking God, uh, about all of the words that I'm hearing. Like I, I listen to a lot of other ministers. I tune into 
um, other podcasts and I listen to people online and there's certain people that I really like to tune into to follow. And I was hearing a lot of conversation about the things that God is saying during this time, during this pandemic, during this change and the shift that is happening globally. And I'm listening to all of these people and I was listening to the different words that were coming forward and the prophetic words, meaning the words that God was speaking that was saying, here's what I'm doing right now, or here's what this means and here is what's happening. And as I was listening to them, I was, uh, you know, taking all of this in. And one day I was doing around at the house. This was after we were all put into stay at home orders. And I was thinking, God, all of these people are having words and all of these people are saying things and they're all sharing what you're saying. But God, I haven't heard you say anything. I haven't heard anything about what this means, about what's going on. And I was kind of a little, honestly, my, my feelings were a little bit hurt with God because I was like, God, you're talking to everybody else, but you haven't said anything to me. Why haven't you said anything to me about it? And before that thought could get finished in my mind, clear as a bell, I heard God say, you have not because you ask not. That's out of James. It's a scripture for those of you that don't know. <laughs> it kind of um, put me in my place <laughs> pretty quick because that's just how God communicates with me. He's very direct. He wasn't being mean. He was just letting me know, hey, will you haven't taken time to be still and ask me what what I want to say and what I want to talk about. So I was like, okay, that's fair. So I just got still, I'm going to tell you, I was in my bathroom, I was cleaning and I was doing stuff around. And, and so I just asked him, God, what are you, what are you saying? Because I keep hearing people saying the word repent. And so I asked the Lord, I was like, what are you saying about repent? Because when I think of repent, there's so many things that you could repent for, but I want to know specifically, God, what are you putting your finger on? And as soon as I asked him that, I heard repent and return to your first love. That is a scripture that is out of Revelation, I believe it's, yeah, it's Revelation chapter two and verse four. Um, God is speaking to a church in Ephesus. And when he is speaking to this church in Ephesus, he says to them, he says, you know, you've done all of these great things and you've, you've been good this way and I'm proud of you for this and I'm proud of you for that, but this one thing I have against you. And he said, you've departed from your first love. And his word to the church at Ephesus is to repent and go back to your first love. The thing that's interesting is the church in Ephesus at that time was a church that would have been in a big metropolitan city. It was a city that was very prosperous. It was a city that had a lot of grand architecture. The architecture in that city was largely dedicated to what was called pagan worship. They were worshiping other gods. And so they had set up these elaborate, beautiful temples and um, big structures in honor of these foreign gods. And God comes to that church at Ephesus and specifically says to him, you are living in an area and in a place that is very prosperous, that is bustling with trade and commerce, that everything, the business is good, everything is going well, but this is what I have against you. It would be like God coming to a place like Denver or 
um, Dallas, a big metropolitan city and saying, you know, you're doing really good, but you are consistently going to the Metrolux. You're always going to uh, the mall. You're not spending time and being still with me. It was the same thing that was going on in Ephesus. So what his word was repent and return to your first love. So that word repent, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Darren ministered a whole series on repent, and it was about turning. So that word repent means, I want to give you the definition, it's the word, and some of you remember, I don't actually even know how to say it in the Hebrew, because Darren said it in a southern Spanish way, it's meta, how do you even say it? Metanueo? Okay, but the way that Darren said it was metanoeno. <laughs> so metanoeo is the word that is the um, Hebrew word for repent. And what that word means is to change one's life based on complete change of attitude and thought concerning sin and righteousness. So what the word repent means is to turn away from something, but it's not just a turning away from something, but it's turning to something. It's turning away from a path of destruction, and it's turning to a path of life and health and goodness and prosperity. So when God says repent, he's saying turn away from the things that have been consuming you and turn to your first love. So what does your first love, what does that look like to God? When God says leaving your first love, what does that look like from God's perspective? So here's where I want to pick up in Hosea. So if you have that uh, with your finger in it, Hosea chapter 1 and starting in verse 2, it says this. It says, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So I want to, I want to say this to all of the parents that are watching. I picked the translation that was the most conservative in its language in discussing what is discussed in the book of Hosea. So I just want to let you know that I did my very best to make things as simple for you as possible. If you have your whole family watching with you. So God instructs Hosea to go and take a wife, but this wife is a woman who is currently and actively engaged in that trade of uh, income. (laughs) So the book of Hosea is a picture for us. The wife that God tells her to marry, her name is Gomer. And Gomer is a woman who has been given to this particular trade, and she is actively involved in that, and that is her lifestyle. That is what she does. So um, as uh, even after Hosea marries her, she continually goes back to this lifestyle. And every time she does, Hosea goes and gets her from where she is and he brings her back home. And continually he does this time and time and time again, even though time and time again, she is unfaithful. She is unfaithful. She is unfaithful. Every time Hosea goes and gets Gomer and brings her back home and puts her back in his home, back into a place of safety, and he cares for her. 
So in chapter two, let's go on over there. And in chapter two and verse five, this was Gomer's attitude. This is what she was thinking in herself. She said, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Notice that these are things when she says, I will go after my bread and my water, my wool and my linen. What that's talking about, she says, I'll go after things that fill me up on the inside, that make me feel full, that fill the hole that's on the inside of me. I'm going to go after those things. I'm going to leave my marriage and I'm going to go and find those things. But then she also says, my wool and my linen. So not only is she looking for those things that are filling a hole on the inside, filling that internal hunger, she's also looking for those things that are going to fill her up on the outside. She's looking for something to appease her and something to satisfy that craving that she has for those things on the outside. And then when it also says my oil and um, my drink, those speak of luxuries. That's talking about things that are uh, not necessarily a necessity for life, but the type of oil and drink that she's talking about were things that were only um, afforded to people that were making a lot of money. So she's saying, I want to chase after these things. There may be a status. Maybe it's something that if I feel like I could get this, then maybe I would finally feel fulfilled. Maybe I would feel content. But see, what Gomer is saying is she's aware that she is in need of these things and has no way of attaining those things on her own. So she's continually going going out and searching for the things that will fill her up on the inside, what she thinks will make her feel content on the outside, and chasing after those things that she feels will give her a status or a feeling of importance. So then it goes on in Hosea chapter 2. Let's skip down to verse 7. And this is what uh, God says about Gomer's attitude. This is like what Hosea would feel about her heart. It says, she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband for then it was better for me than now. That word that she could not overtake it, what that word means in the Hebrew is that she was never able to attain it. It was never able to satisfy her. No matter what she was after, those things that she couldn't achieve on her own, even in all of her striving and in all of her chasing, she was never able to actually reach it and to take hold of it. And even what she did, if she did take hold of it, it felt like it slipped through her fingers because it was never anything that would satisfy this need and this hunger that she had on the inside of her. So Hosea repeatedly rescues her out of her lifestyle of harlotry, out of the very act of it. And the book of Hosea, what it is, is this relationship between Hosea and Gomer and the constant, the constant unfaithfulness, the constant wandering of Gomer is a picture of God's relationship with his people. The way that Gomer was continually unfaithful to Hosea, it is a picture and a direct parallel. And Hosea is living out in real life what happens between God and his people. The, the people would say, yes, we love God, but then they would run out and they were continually unfaithful and unfaithful and unfaithful. And every time the book of Hosea, it goes through chapter after chapter of God speaking and saying, 
This is what that does to my heart. This is what is stirred up on the inside of me. And if you don't think that God has emotion, the Bible tells us that we're created in the likeness and the image of God. If you don't think that God has emotion, read the book of Hosea because you hear how God feels when his people were unfaithful to him. You feel the, the angst of God's heart, the hurt of his heart, and the way that God was feeling every time that people would say, I'm going to be faithful. I want you to be my God. But then they would run out and try to find something to fill the emptiness or the hole or to satisfy something in their life that they were not pressing into God for. So this book is such an amazing parallel. If you've never read Hosea before, I would encourage you to read it. If you want to read it in like in your face language, read it in the message translation. It's powerful. It's so good, but it's straight in your face. So, um, (laughs) so it seems that everything in our world right now has changed. It seems that nothing has stayed the same. And it seems that the things that we used to could count on and that were the same every day, it feels like everything has shifted and it feels like nothing is the same. But see, this is where God is saying to us, return and repent, repent, I'm sorry, repent and return to your first love because this is the place that nothing is going to change. This is the place where everything stays the same when we're walking in that first love with God. It's that value and acceptance and comfort that we're looking for that can be found in our relationship with God because God, no matter what we see changing around us and no matter what we feel like, what I thought was a sure thing is now completely blown out of the water. When we put our love and our trust and our searching and our hunger in God, God is unchanging. No matter what is going on around us and no matter what thing we think, we think, wow, I didn't see that coming. God knew and God has a plan through all of that. So when we are searching and we're hungering for something, God is saying, repent from going after other things for filling your heart with other things for trying to fill a void with other things and return to me and let me be the one that fills that void, especially when things feel so uncertain and so changing all the time. And when I say going after other things, that's what I was asking God, God, what is the going after other things? What are you putting your finger on? Because we can start thinking, well, wow, I'm doing this wrong and I'm doing this wrong and I'm doing this wrong. And there's a big difference between self-examination and God putting his finger on something. Because when we start examining ourselves and turn our focus inward into ourselves, we can become very destructive. We can be very hard on ourselves and we can be very self-deprecating. Whereas when we ask God, God, what do you want to put your finger on? And what are you wanting to speak to me about? When God puts his finger on something, it's because he's saying right now, there is a grace and a power and an authority and a love that I have for you to overcome whatever it is that I'm putting my finger on. When we just turn our focus into ourselves and we start looking inwardly into ourselves, we find things or we think that we find things. We come up with things that we can be doing that we think are wrong, but there's no grace and there's no power to overcome that. So we can wear ourselves out with everything that we look at inward focus. So when I ask God, Lord, what are you putting your finger on? 
It was really interesting to me because God said he, was, he wanted us to examine the way that we, it, it's everything from food to relationships to hobbies to, um, I wrote some of these things down, to our careers, to how many followers you have on social media. If you are looking to any of these things in and of themselves, none of those things are bad. None of those things are wrong. But it's when we allow those things to begin to fill a place on the inside of us that was intended for God's love. That's when they become out of balance. And that's when it slowly starts to pull our affections away from God and putting our affections on these things. And God is saying, don't be a gomer. Look at whoever you're sitting with right now and say, don't be a gomer. I want you to comment right now. I'm not a gomer. Yes, I've got a Holy Ghost pom-pom from, <laughs> from up at the media booth right now. God was saying, don't be a gomer. These things can be good things, but they can easily become a mistress when they steal our affection. So, Matthew tells us in chapter 12, I'm just going to read this, that the way that we're to love God is just super quick. Just write it down. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30 says, the way that we're to love God is with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being and with every thought that is within you and with all your strength. So anytime we begin to put all of our focus, or it can be so subtle when it starts out, but it's just like what Darren said last week, is it's not that God just wants to be first place. Okay, check mark. I, I did my time with God this morning. I put God first, the first thing when I woke up. Now I'm going to go to my job. Now I'm going to go do my hobby. Now I'm going to go uh, fix my dinner, or whatever it is. God doesn't want to be first place. He wants to be in the smack middle of everything that you do. And if you're not inviting God into the middle of it, it's one of two things. Either number one, you shouldn't be doing it. Or number two, you haven't thought about that as being something that God wants to partake in with you. God wants to be in every part of what you do. He wants to be in your hobby. He wants to be in your career. He wants to be part of your influence on social media. He's given you a passion and a direction in life for a reason, but he wants to be in the middle of that. Sometimes people say, you know, I'm afraid to give my life to God because what, what if he makes me stop doing what I love? You know, if what you love is leading you on a path of hurting yourself and hurting other people, yeah, that's probably going to be something that God says, okay, we need to turn away from that. But those things that you love, those things that you're passionate about, you love them and are passionate about them because God put that in you. He made you that way because he wants somebody in every realm of life to be there carrying his passion and carrying his influence. And when we begin to partner with God in what we love, when we partner with God in what we're passionate about, when we let him be in the middle of our businesses, of our marriages, of our homes, of our schools, of everything that we're doing, that's when the power of God pours in. And as successful as you thought that you could be, by you doing what you're passionate about, when you invite God into the middle of it, it becomes an exponential 
thing. God doesn't do things just in addition. When you read in the scripture, God does things exponentially. So your realm of influence grows exponentially. Your career grows exponentially. Your business grows exponentially. Your, your marriage is exponentially better. Your children are exponentially more able to do what God has called them to do. It, it's, it's good. It's just a good it's a good thing, y'all. All right. So <laughs> I remember uh, a moment when um, we were, Darren and I were going through a season that it was, it was after um, Darren had gone to the doctor and had uh, a, a doctor gave him a diagnosis of a disease, Parkinson's, that we were told is incurable, that there is no cure for it. We were told about how his life was going to get continually worse and how his quality of living was going to suck after a while. And, you know, it was just not good. Well, that was happening at the same time that there were some relationships that were very, very dear to us and that were years in the making that those things were really being shaken. And the things that I looked at that were around me that I thought, these are the things that are solid in my life. These are the things that I can go to. Suddenly those things were being shaken. And it appeared to me that things were shifting. And I felt in myself, things are never going to be the same. You might be feeling right now, things are never going to be the same. So if that's you, man, I want you to, I want you to say that right now. Say, I feel like things are never going to be the same. And one night we were getting ready to go to bed and I had gotten into bed and Darren was getting ready for bed and he was talking to me and he said, Hey, did you hear that so-and-so a minister that he had watched, like he put out podcasts. Darren listened to this podcast. It was a leadership podcast. It was phenomenal. And he listened to that podcast every week. I loved his ministry and his preaching. And he said, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And I said, no. And he said, he stepped down. I don't remember whether it was that he stepped down or that he was fired from his position as a lead pastor of his church. It was, it was both, Darren says. And his church was thousands of people. And he s said that the reason that this pastor had stepped down was because he was an alcoholic. And alcoholism had become such a problem in his life, he was losing his marriage and he was losing his family and his whole world. He had built this church. He founded the church and everything was being taken away. And... I remember laying in bed that night as he was, he was in the bathroom and he was talking through and I was in the bedroom by myself. And I remember laying there and thinking, I know how he feels. And there was not an ounce of judgment on the inside of me of, oh my gosh, he's a pastor. How could he, how could he be actively engaged in alcoholism? He's supposed to be a pastor. Doesn't, doesn't he know better? He should know better. He shouldn't be doing that. None of that was there. I laid in bed and honestly, I was scared. I'll just tell you the truth. I was scared because I thought if that could happen to him, it could happen to anybody. And what I was thinking is I could see how a person be, could become an alcoholic. I could see how if there was so much pressure and there was maybe some things that were 
in his past that he was trying to reconcile or maybe if he was struggling with success, maybe if he was struggling with having so many people looking to him, maybe he was struggling with some things that were going on behind the scenes that none of us knew in his staff or in his marriage or whatever, with his parents, with relationships. I don't know, but I was thinking I could see how that could happen because I would really like an escape right now. I would really like to just find a way to push a button and not feel any of the things that I'm feeling and not have to deal with any of the pressure that I'm dealing with, not have to think about the future, not have to think about what is this going to look like? What if this, what if this, I was scared. And I remember at that moment feeling like I could see how that could happen. And in that moment, laying in bed by myself, I picked up my phone And I thought, I need help. I need help, but God, I don't even know where to go for help. And the first thing is he said, I need to be the one that you run to. I want to be the one that is your go-to. I don't want you to go to anyone yet, but I want you to run to me. And that was when things shifted. It was in a place where I felt like I just want all of this to stop. I don't want things to go back to the way they were. And that was when God said, you have to run to me if you need help. And if you're in a place where you feel like you're about to drown and you need help, I want you to run to me because I won't change. I'll never leave you. And your future with me cannot be shaken. That was when things shifted, but it was at a time where, man, things were hard and you might be there right now. If that's you, hit that thumbs up emoji. Man, things are hard. Things feel like, I don't know if things are ever going to be okay again. I don't know if things are ever going to be back to the way they were. And to tell you, I don't know if things are going to be back the way they were. I don't know when things are going to return, but here's what I know is God is saying, repent from all of the other stuff that you've been trying to fill yourself with. Repent from the busyness. Repent from the places that we've been running to try and fill those needs on the inside, the things that we've been trying to buy or to fill our life with, to appease us on the outside and those things that we think, man, if I could just achieve this level of success, if I could just grow to this many followers on Instagram, I would feel like I'm someone. I would feel like I'm successful. I would feel like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. And God's saying it's not going to be found in any of that. It will continually be out of your reach. And he's saying, just turn to me. Turn to me and run to me. So the question that I had in my mind as I was reading Hosea was why did Gomer continually do that? Why did she continually go back to her lifestyle of harlotry, even after she was married, even after Hosea was a good husband to her because he was the likeness of God in that, in that parallel story. So, you know, he was a good husband to her. So why did Hosea or why did Gomer keep going back? Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a Gomer. She's a Gomer. (laughs) So I was thinking, was it because Gomer took Hosea for granted? Was it because that, you know, he became common to her? And so she just took for granted, I can do whatever I want to, and he'll always be here, he'll always come find me, and he'll always take me back. 
Or was it that she thought continually, if I could just find this, if I could just get this, then it would satisfy this thing that's on the inside of me. And whatever it was with Hosea, he wasn't filling that up. So she was just thinking, whatever I need to do, it's not here. So I need to keep looking for it. Or did Hosea, or I'm sorry, did Gomer continually go back to the harlot tree because she never understood how deeply and how unconditionally she was loved by Hosea? Maybe it was that she never understood how holy, despite all of her brokenness and in spite of all of the things that she had done in her past, in spite of who she was at the time that Hosea came and got her to be his wife, that she never was able to just receive his unconditional unshaking forever love. And because she was unable to receive it, she never realized her potential to actually give love. Not the kind of love that changes because it's cloudy outside and you're in a bad mood, but the kind of love that is a forever unshaking, unchangeable love. That because she had never been able to receive it, you can't give away what you don't have. And so because Gomer had never received that love, could it be that she was never able to love Hosea the way that she was loved? So I want to read this passage of scripture to you in 1 John Chapter 4, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. 1 John 4 says this. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, speaking of God. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its full expression in us. And he has given us this, his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in him. Return to your first love with God. So as I've been talking to God about this and as I've just continued conversation with him about it, one day this dropped in me is what about those who have never experienced a first love? What about all of those who, these are people that come into church every week. These are maybe people who read their Bible all the time or maybe these are people who uh, went to a church service one time, or maybe they've heard of God, but they've never experienced a first love. And I started thinking about these people, and what I was thinking about is that these people, and this could be you watching right now, my bet, because this is what God is speaking about, I would gather that there is a large percentage of people that are watching right now 
that you would say, I don't know that I've experienced that first love with God because your experience and your thought of God has either been absent or it's been skewed. But see, the scripture tells us it's the, probably the most famous scripture quoted in the Bible is that God so loved that he gave. We can have all of these pictures and all of these images and all of these ideas of God, but if we come back to that very one, if all of the images and ideas that we have don't line up with that foundation base scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would give their heart to him, whoever would open their heart up to Jesus would not perish, but would have life, that they would turn away from a life of destruction and that they would turn to the fullest most filling, most beneficial, most prosperous, most healthy life. God so loved. So here's what I started thinking about is for a lot of us, myself included, our introduction to God or our idea of God or what we know of God is through a system. And it's some type of system that has maybe one of these included or a number included, a number of them, a combination of things included. And one, maybe the system that you know God through is a system of tradition and obligation. Maybe your, your, uh, your time reading your Bible, or maybe you go to church and you don't even really know why you go to church. You just go to church because you were drugged to church as a kid. So you don't really know why it's important to go to church. So it's really not a priority to you, or you don't really know why you read the Bible. So it's not really a priority to you. You don't know why you pray. So it's not really a priority to you. All you know about those things is that it's tradition. It's what my mom did. It's what I saw my grandma do. Or maybe you see other people doing it, or maybe it feels more like an obligation to you. It's something that you have to do because you grew up seeing your parents do it. And if you don't do it, you feel guilty. So you just do it out of tradition and obligation. So that is the system that you relate to God through. Or maybe the system that you relate to him through is because it is a last resort. Maybe nothing else in your life has worked. Maybe there's been extreme tragedy. Maybe there's been extreme loss. Maybe you have hit rock bottom and you don't know what else to do. Maybe you were in that spot. So you thought I have nothing else and it can't get any worse. So I'll just give God a try. So it wasn't a a thing of running to God. It was running from something. How would you like it if somebody came to you for relationship and said, you know what? My life is terrible and it's falling apart and it can't get any worse. So I guess I'll be your friend. Well, there's, there's a relationship to get into. Or maybe the system that you know God through is a system of fear. Maybe it's a system that you're, you're afraid You don't want to go to hell because you've heard that, you know, if you don't know God, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you're going to go to hell. Well, you don't want to go to hell. So, well, I guess the best thing is then to say that I'm going to give my heart to God because I sure don't want to go to hell. That sounds really bad. Or maybe, maybe it's not necessarily a fear of hell, but it's a fear of God that you are afraid of God and that your, your system that you relate to him through is a system that says, if I step out of line, I'm just going to get whomped and God is waiting to whomp me. I'm not really sure when it's coming, but it's coming at some time. So I just got to be ready all the time. And so that system is a system of fear. Or 
Maybe the system that you relate to him through is a system of shame and guilt. Maybe it's because of some things that have been done in your past that you just can't seem to reconcile with. Or maybe it's because you feel like you've let people down. You've let yourself down. There's people that are disappointed in you. You're disappointed in yourself. You've made choices and decisions that you know haven't been the best for you and they haven't been the best for other people. And that shame and guilt is a heavy weight and you cannot seem to get away from it. So you go to God through that system of shame and guilt, but still it just doesn't seem to lift. It's still there. See, my system that I first related to God with was a combination. It was a combination of fear and a combination of tradition. Like this is what my parents, I grew up, you know, growing up in the Bible belt, you go to, you go to school and you go to Sunday school on Sunday. But then I also had an aunt who talked to me about God and the way that she talked to me about God was telling me about hell and how hot it was and that my skin was going to melt off of my face. I remember this as a six-year-old girl sitting in my grandmother's living room on her green shag carpet while my aunt sat in the orange burnt colored barco lounger with the little doily over the top of the back of it. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And she talked to me about hell and how my skin was going to melt off and how my eyeballs were going to come out of my head and that there was going to be snakes crawling in and out of my eyeballs. Now, I'm telling you right now, when you're a six-year-old kid and your aunt is talking to you like that, I don't care what she's telling you about. You're going to do whatever it takes to not have snakes crawling in and out of your eyeballs. It scared the wham. It literally scared the hell out of me. So that was the system that I related to God through. And it was, it was a struggle for me. I never was able to really connect with God because I was afraid of him. And I was never really able to come to that place of true love because my introduction to him was not one of love. My introduction to him was one of, I'm running away from this. I'm just going to run to an alternative. That's what it looked like for me. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. I don't know what your combination was or what it was. Put a, put a comment on there and let me know. This is what I felt I needed to do today because this is what I felt God wanted to do today. It's for those of you that because of a system or because of a tradition or man's interpretation of God, that you've been really hurt, and maybe you never have had a first love experience with God because of the system that was brought to you or the system that you observed or what uh, all you knew of God. And here's what I want to do today is, if you would allow me, I would like to stand in for if it was a person that hurt you, or if it was a church that hurt you, or maybe it was a person in the church that hurt you, I would like to stand in for that for you today. And in their place, I would like to say to you, I'm sorry. And I ask your forgiveness for whoever hurt you and whoever gave you an impression of God that he was angry with you or that he would not be accepting of you. 
and that you had to be something in order for God to love you. And I want to tell you today that that is just not true. And so I want to say, I'm sorry to you if that has happened to you. And I ask your forgiveness today. And I would ask that right now where you're at, if you would receive that apology and that asking of forgiveness, if that is you, if you would just right now, just because it does something, when you do something on the outside, if you would just put your hand on your heart right now and either inside or outside say, I forgive you. If it was a, if maybe it was a whole establishment, maybe it was a whole uh, group. I don't, I don't know what has happened, but I know there's a lot of people who've really been hurt by what somebody else's interpretation of what God was. And a lot of times a person or a church or a denomination will stand in the way and stand between a person and who God really is. And so today I invite you to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to wipe that aside and I'm not going to put that on God. I'm going to understand that people are fallible and that people operate the best that they know how. Maybe their system was broken and I'm going to allow myself to look directly to God. I'm going to allow myself to put my eyes straight on God. And there's a second group of people that I want to speak to. And this is so cool that God would give us this opportunity. And I want to speak specifically to all of those people that are watching today that serve week in and week out here at our church or whatever church that you serve in. And I want to say to you, return to your first love. And I would ask that where you're sitting right now, that if the ministry that you are serving in, you know, the word minister means servant. And so it doesn't matter if you're standing at the front door and shaking people's hand as they come in. It doesn't matter if you're the one that's changing diapers for our warriors in the nursery. It doesn't matter if you're standing on this stage. You are a minister and the word minister very simply means servant. And if you are serving and you are ministering to people out of obligation and out of routine or out of trying to earn love, it gets really old really fast and it becomes a heavy burden. So I want to encourage you today that if you were feeling that when you were here at the church or whatever church that you are in, I want to speak to all of those people that are serving ministers. And I want to call to you today to say return to your first love. Find that passion, call out to God and say, God, I need your help to fuel that, to spark that fire on the inside of me. And if you never had it, ask God to build it today. Ask God, Lord, breathe your breath into my inner being and set my heart on fire for what you've called me to do for the ministry that you've called me to in serving other people. And there's a lot of you that are watching that serve other people that it's not inside the church walls and your ministry is no less important and it's no less validated by God. And so if that's you, if you're serving other people outside the church walls, I pray that same prayer for you right now that God would breathe into your inner being right now and that he would ignite that fire and that he would return to you the passion that you very first had when you began serving people, or maybe it's a passion that you never really knew was a passion that God wanted to be a part of. And I just am inviting you right now, say, God, breathe on that passion on the inside of me and ignite, 
ignite that holy fire in me that multiplies whatever I put my hands to, that God just multiplies it and makes it that much more amazing and powerful. Um, I want to read a section of scripture to you as I get ready to close. And it's out of Ephesians and it's out of the Passion Translation. You guys knew that I wasn't going to be able to go through a message without reading out of the Passion Translation. I want to say this. If you're kind of new to reading the Bible, the Passion Translation is such a beautiful translation to read. It's a very, I like reading things that paint a picture for me that I can like see it while I'm reading it. And that's what the Passion Translation does. You can get it on Amazon for 30 bucks and you have it delivered right to your home. So there you go. So Ephesians chapter one, and I'm going to start reading in verse three. This is what the Bible says about you. It says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. I think, let me go on a little bit more. Yeah. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one. So that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. That's what God says about you. That's not written for somebody else. That's written to you. So I want to ask you a question. I've heard... I've heard it said in many sermons and in many uh, wonderful preachings that if Jesus went to the cross and died for just one person, that he would have done it all over again. That if everything that Jesus went through, being beaten and being crucified and going into the tomb for three days and then being resurrected from the dead, if he would have done that for just one person, that he would do it all over again. So here's what I want to ask you. As we are here in the middle of a global pandemic, we have orders to stay at home. Businesses have been shut down. Um, recreational activities, concerts, movie theaters, everything that we used to do has been shut down. Events are canceled. What if, what if God slowed down the whole world for one person? What if God put everything on pause and was changing and shifting everything the way he is for just one person for them to slow down and return their heart to him? And what if that one person was you? What if everything that's going on and everything is happening is because God was so desperate to let that one person know how much they're loved 
and how much they mean and how really important they are to his plan. And that the destiny that he created them for, before they ever even took their first breath, that he knew them before they were ever even born. And that out of all of that, that God would say, you are so important to me that I would do anything to get to you. What if that one person was you? Knowing my God the way that I do, he would say it's worth it. And he'd say, I'd do it all over again because he's just that good. And he just loves you just that much. So with God's word, repent and return. I want to offer you the opportunity today to repent, to turn away, and to turn to. And if you're asking, well, how do I do that? I don't even know how to do that. I just want to share with you, for the sake of time, I want to give this to you because I feel like it's something really personal. The last chapter of Hosea, Hosea 14, the book of Hosea ends with a prayer of repentance. And there's something really amazing in there is because in that last chapter, I'm trying to find it here, he says, he says something in there in either verse three or four or something. He's, he says that we won't, we won't rely on our horses anymore and we won't rely on the works of our hands, but we'll give you our hearts. And so I want to invite you that when we're done here and when we close or sometime today for you to go to Hosea and go to that very last chapter, Hosea 14, and read what God's heart is for you when we just turn and repent because what he says here is he says for the ways of the lord are right and the uncompromisingly just shall walk in them it's an amazing promise to us so with that i invite you to repent and return to god so i just want to pray over you before we go father i thank you for who you are and i thank you that you are so big with love, that God is love. And for anybody who has never experienced first love before, I pray, Father, that you would wreck and tear down the systems that have stood between them and experiencing their first love with you. And I pray that that door be thrown wide open for them right now, that there's an opportunity for you to experience something that you've never experienced before. And that that open door for you changes everything. That it's when God says, run to me. Everything else may seem to be shaking, but that one thing is unshakable. And in that one thing, you find everything. So God, I just thank you for your love being bigger than anything that we can understand or comprehend. Because you are love. You are the definition of love. You're the one who authors love. And if your story didn't begin chapter one, my love story, I invite you right now to allow love to begin to author your life, to begin to write that story for you. And if that's you, just give your heart to God. Say, I want it. I just, I want to give my heart to God today. I want to follow him. I want to turn from whatever it was that I've been chasing after and turn to him. 
I want to invite you, God, to ignite passion on the inside of me that maybe has grown cold and that maybe has become burdensome. Father, I invite you to breathe into their lungs and to ignite fire on the inside of them again. And I thank you for loving us unconditionally and unendingly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys very much. I invite you to join us on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock for Table Talk with Darren and I from our kitchen. And we have some wonderful conversations, and we want to hear from you. We want to hear what do you want to talk about. If you were sitting in the kitchen with us, what would you want to talk about? What are the questions that you're asking? What are the conversations that you're having? What are you hearing that you just want to talk more about together? And we want you to send those to us. Send us an email at info at n3c.tv. We get those and we love to hear from you. Send us your praise reports too. We like to hear what God is doing. I do have a praise report that I want to share. We did get a notice, an email from a member of our N3C family that during this time of layoffs and people losing their jobs and having salaries cut, we got a testimony of somebody who actually received a raise and a promotion at their job. So we share that with you for you to hear that God is doing amazing things. And if he did it for them, he will do it for me. So with that, we leave you guys with a good testimony today. Take some time today to get with God and read over Hosea chapter 14 and ask him to speak that to you. I love you, and we will see you on Wednesday night and back here on Sunday. Have a great day.